Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine, and we're on episode 90. Let's talk about ride or dies, okay? Um, Ride or die. What does it mean to be a ride or die? It means to be a, a, a... an idiot. That's what it is. That That's what it means. It means to be foolish. It means to be blinded by love. Um, I don't feel like love should include dying for someone. Yes, people say, well, don't you want to be like Jesus? No. <laughs> Not in that sense. I don't want to die for somebody to prove my love for them. That's what I'm saying. I feel like um, my actions, aside from dying for you, should be enough for you to know that I love you, that I'm loyal to you, and that I care for you. I don't think a loved one should put you at risk for your life to be in danger. And that is often what is dis- defined as a ride or die. Ultimately, you are putting yourself at, at danger because you love him, right? You'll do anything for him. You'll lay on the on the train tracks for him. When where is the train? Why are you doing that? Why get an Uber instead? Why are we here? So I'm talking about this because C Murder is well, he was a popular hip hop artist many, many years ago. So early early 2000s, late 90s. And he's the brother of Master P. And he's actually an old boyfriend of Monica, okay? Y'all know Monica. The boy is mine, the boy is mine, the boy is mine, the boy is mine. Who apparently will be having a a versus battle with Brandy. Finally, it's happening. I did not think it was going to happen because, you know, throughout the years, they've had some drama. There'll be times when they're on good terms with each other. And there'll be other times when Brandy is going batshit crazy on Monica, through Instagram. And I, I think Brandy is at a better place mentally. I think her mental health seems to be better ever since the release of her new album, B7. She's been vocal about her mental health challenges. And that, that was, I'm so grateful that she did that because that really explains her behavior, her past behavior towards Monica. So God bless Brandy. I'm just going to put that out there. And I am team Brandy. So is Joanna, God rest her soul, who love Brandy down. So I'll be rooting for Brandy during this versus battle. But Monica's great. Don't get me wrong. Monica's not bad. But Brandy is Brandy. So let's just let's just go there. Okay. I know we're talking about C murder, but I just want to talk about Brandy and the legacy that she is and the, and the icon that she is. Okay. She's a legend in her own rights. Moesha, right. Let's just stop there. The braids, the beautiful brown skin, the multi-talented human being that she is. Brandy's that girl. She's always been that girl. She was that girl for me when I was growing up. And she will always have a space in my heart. So to not root for Brandy is like, what are we doing? (laughs) I mean, Monica could have battled with Keisha Cole. I feel like that would have been more of the same level as far as vocally. Yes, Monica could sing, but Brandy sings down, okay? Has she is frequently called... Brandy is called the vocal Bible, and that's really what she is. Her runs, 
She takes you to church. She makes you feel like the Holy Spirit is next to you. Okay. Um, speaking of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get into John Gray's ass in a little bit. <laughs> this nigga can't stop cheating. Where is the Holy Spirit then? When you're keep when you're still cheating on your wife and you're blaming the devil still. I want to know where at what point does the Holy Spirit t- you know makes a visit in your life? Do you invite the Holy Spirit in or is it just automatically walking with you because I want to know where is the Holy Spirit in John Gray's life? I think the bro let's just talk about John Gray real quick. Um the brokenness that he Okay, you know what? No. I'll wait. No, we'll get to him, okay? We'll get to John Gray momentarily. But he's definitely on the damn agenda. Let's just start there, okay? So, yes, Monica is and was actually a girlfriend of C. Murder. Um, and she has clearly and publicly stated her allegiance towards him. Throughout her songs, she's made it clear that she is still down for him, that she's still his ride or die. If you guys know the song, You Should Have Known Better, beautiful song. But now looking back at it as a 29-year-old, I'm realizing, oh, she was talking about her Gerald Bird boo. So he's been in prison for 19, like, I don't know how long, but more than 10 years for sure. So quite a while. And yes, you shouldn't discard people who go to jail, right? Let's just say that, right? That should be the basis. Um, but I'm wondering how much of a role did her love for C murder play into her life outside of the prison bars? Okay. Like I don't, I feel like, yes, she still got married and she moved on. She got married. She did get a divorce recently, but she did get married. She had kids, you know, she still had her career, but yet she still had this undying, unshakable loyalty towards C. Murder. And I'm wondering if there could have been a line created to have this some, some sort of boundary so that her love or her respect and her, her um, loyalty towards him does not interfere with her personal romantic relationships. Because rumor has it that... She would, yes, frequently visit him. That That's okay. That's fine. But it impeded into her marriage with Shannon Brown. And it may have been inappropriate at times. Maybe she would always take up for C murder more than she would for her own husband. And I think the, the bigger conversation here is the whole ride or die fiasco, romantic fantasy that many women, including myself, were made to believe this as an okay thing to believe, right? Like growing up, you getting a hood nigga was a prize. And it sounds laughable now, right? But growing up, getting a hood nigga, somebody from the block, you know, some street nigga, (laughs) a rapper, right? Or an up and coming rapper. Getting any one of those was a prize. And if you felt like the cool girl, you felt like 
wow, you felt like the hot shit. Like, okay, you kind of made it, right? Because if he makes it out the hood, then you can make it out the hood too with him, even though you'll be one of his side chicks. But either way, you got you got one, right? And so there was this just under this culture around being this ride or die, around being so attracted to hood niggas and hood niggas eventually do become jailbird niggas. Okay. Do eventually become drug dealers. Um, do eventually become 15 to life niggas. <laughs> no, please stop being with these men. Oh, please stop. Excuse me. Please stop fantasizing about these men because it's not, it's really a fantasy. That's what it is. It really is just in our heads. We create this life thinking, wow, we could transform this street guy into this corporate man, into this man who will give us this big house, the car legally, right? <laughs> or like, you know, someone who could really be there in your life forever, at least for a long, long time. And oftentimes with when you're dating a hood guy, you're going to eventually run into a couple of problems, right? Um, what, what's one of them? I don't know. They get, they get hit with a drug charge and now they have to spend four years in prison. Now you're supposed to hold them down in prison because you decided to be with this hood nigga, hoping that he will eventually get out of the hood or get out of the hood mentality. And that stays with many men, I've noticed. Even though they grow up and become, you know, young <clears throat> professionals, young black professionals, the same mentality of being a hood man remains. And it, it doesn't it doesn't really elevate them into further in the social climbing ladder in this world. Yet you're still stuck with a man who still thinks it's okay to beat up guys who accidentally stepped on their shoe. I remember a time I was talking to Boston Bay, and many, 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 many months ago. Okay, let's make that clear. We have not rekindled and that is not the plan. Um, but many, many months ago, I, I had a conversation with Boston Bay and he was telling me about a time he was at the hospital. I think he was visiting someone else and he ended up getting into an argument with this guy. The guy was disrespectful and he fought him in the hospital, like beat him down in the hospital. Um, the guy got a couple of licks, a couple of licks. Why am I saying like that? But the guy caught, caught a couple of licks. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that, but he got a couple of hits on him. Like he got a little scratch, but for the most part, Boston Bay really beat him up. And I asked him, I said, why did you do that? Like, why did you get in a fight? <laughs> what? Mind you, he's four, six years old, seven, no, five years older than me. So I just could not understand this mentality of fighting, like physically fighting still. Why are we doing this? And then he said something about like, well, he just, just he disrespected me. He disrespected me. And I think the difference between men and women, men, especially hood niggas, let's just say that, they take disrespect to a whole nother level. Okay, they they will hunt you down, pin you to the ground to make sure you understand this will be the last time you step on my shoe. 
This will be the last time you look at my girl this way, right? Or this will be the last time you said some slick, slick ass joke. And I, I wonder where is, where is the sense of humor? <laughs> where is the, the, the brushing it off your shoulder mindset? Where is that? Because he said it so casually, so, so okay. Like this is just what you do. Like this is, there's no other way to react, but to punch him dead in his face and beat him down and fighting in a hospital where you could get arrested. And so I was trying to explain to him, Hey, you know, that I don't really think you should react like that <laughs> because you could find yourself in more trouble than you would have wanted, right? You could end up in jail because a cop was right there and saw two black men fighting and now you're in a bigger trouble than you needed to be. And this life that you created for yourself, he's a homeowner, you know, he is a he's a parent and all, all of this will now go down the drain because you decided to fight somebody because he stepped over your shoe. I don't think he was specific to me about exactly how he disrespected him, but I feel like regardless though, there, yes, maybe there are times when you just have to fight somebody. Um, but the reason why I'm, I'm against it is with Boston Bay, he fought anybody like, <laughs> like it, he wakes up, this is a fight. Okay, Monday's a fight, Tuesday's a fight. Like he would just fight. And that was just his response to anything rather than just a a, a straightforward threatening type of conversation. His response is physical violence. Period. Like th there's no other you can't even give him another option. It's physical violence, that's it. And so I was trying to explain to him, like, I don't think that's really much of a good thing. Like, I don't think it's productive, you know, and I was trying to make him see the bigger picture. Like, you don't want to lose your freedom, right? You don't want to be in jail because you decided to get in a fight that was not worth it. Like, it's really not worth it. At the end of the day, this man's a stranger to you. You know, he's not consistently in your face disrespecting you. You can move on from it. You know your worth. You know yourself. I'm trying to say these things like you have to control your own self. You can't let other people control you and your emotions because you're going to fight everybody. And what's, what is that? Like, you can't live a life like that. So I was explaining that to him. Niggas still didn't get it. Um, He was also telling me about another time. This is throughout many different conversations we had. There was another conversation we had. I explained to him, well, he was telling me actually how he got in a fight with his mom's ex-husband because he was cheating on his mom and his mom divorced him. Um, and once he found out that this man cheated on his mother, the only option to handle it was to fight him. Like, can we not this like this has nothing to do with you at the end of the day it really doesn't and your mom is not I just feel like I hope your mom is not instructing you to go fuck this nigga up right I'm, I'm I hope not but I hope that of course while she's 
com- like confessing to her to her son what happened and why she divorced him. I hope she's telling him like, hey, you know, don't do anything crazy. I'm just telling you just to share my feelings. I hope that she's, you know, really discouraging him from doing anything crazy, like fighting him. Like it's not worth it. And you know why it's not worth it? Let me tell you why. Because actually, so he ended up fighting this ex-husband of his of his mom and his ex-husband, the, the man, he ended up filing charges against Boston Bay, filing charges against him. And now that's some that's a court battle that he has to deal with because he wanted to be foolish and fight this man. A lot of men aren't from the streets, okay? And so they're going to take legal action as a result of getting fucked up on the streets. It may look like the punk thing to do, but if I'm say like if I'm not a street nigga, why would I fight you with the weapons of the street? I'm gonna fight you in your pockets, right? I'm gonna make you wish you never laid a hand on me because you know what? I'm depleting your accounts. That loan that you wanted to pay off, you can't anymore, at least not within the next five years, right? I'm gonna hit it where it hurts, where it lasts. So he had to deal with that whole legal situation and now it was on his, it's just like all of this stuff that you did not have to do you did because you wanted to be this man. Why did I start talking about him? Um, masterpiece, C murder. So overall, ride or die. That's basically what I'm saying. When you are with someone who's a ride or die, they make foolish decisions. C murder apparently was in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And look, I don't know if he really didn't commit it or not. I'm not here to say free him. I'm not. I know he spent many, many years in prison. At this point, you know, maybe he really did. Like, say if he did do it. At this point, he served his time, right? Maybe. I don't know. So I'm not going to be quick to say free, free Meek Mill. <laughs> Meek Mill. Let me stop. But you know what I'm saying. Like, sometimes niggas do it. Huh? Sometimes y'all are guilty, okay? Sometimes things aren't, no, things are what they seem. That's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it's exactly what the evidence shows. So, but let's just stay on the on the sense that C. Murder didn't do it. Say he was falsely accused. So the story is there was a shooting that happened at a nightclub. C. Murder, I think he had a weapon on him. Look, check check your Googles. But this is what I'm gathering from what I can remember. And I guess he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he, because he'd had he had uh, previous records previous criminal records, he looked like a great target. And unfortunately, that is the life that we live in America as Black men and Black women. You have to be careful. You could be pinned down with a crime that you did not commit, but because you've had previous offenses, whether violent or not, because you've had previous offenses, you look like someone who will likely do the crime. And because they couldn't find anyone else who by fact did this crime, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and convict the one 
who looked like he could have done it. Even though it's not proven that he did do it, he looks close enough. So go ahead and book that nigga. So that's why I was that's what happened with C murder. And there is some drama happening now because Monica is now reaching out to Kim Kardashian. I don't think Kim Kardashian responded yet, but she, you know, Kim Ka- Kim Kardashian has recently been one of the figureheads in releasing some non-violent, falsely accused black men and women who have been in prison. So she's doing some good work. I know we want to shit on Kim Kardashian. I know she is an easy target. I know we want to blame her for Kanye West. I get all of that. Yet I could still be grateful and congratulate her for the work that she's doing to help free black men and women who were falsely accused or who have been given outrageous sentences due to just a low violence or non-violent offense. So I could commend her for that. Monica is reaching out to Kim K, hoping that Kim K could do something and help C Murder get released. And the drama unfolds when C Murder, who somehow has an Instagram account, okay, but he has an Instagram account and he recently shared how He's found his guardian angel. Kim K is his guardian angel. She's working hard to free him. And he is only showing his, according to that caption I read, he's only showing his gratitude towards Kim K. And it's it's like a slap in the face for Master P. Because Master P, according to what he's been saying, he has been working tirelessly to support finding justice for his brother. He has been putting up his his mother his mother or his grandmother's house for bail to pay legal fees to really get to the bottom of this case to free his brother and for C murder to just only give recognition to Kim K. It it feels like a slap in the face and I totally get that. I would feel upset too. And I think ultimately the problem lies when when um when you are you are the sibling that constantly is in some fucked up shit. And what I mean by that is apparently C murder has always been a part of some reckless activity. He's always had uh he's always been with the wrong crowd. He's always maybe done some petty crime, petty theft. And finally, his behavior has caught him a case like this and has resulted for him to be in prison for this amount of time. Now, of course, we should have sympathy. Of course, we should want justice and fight for justice for someone who did not do the crime. If that is the case, if he didn't do the crime that he um, has been sentenced of, then he should be brought to justice and he should be released. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is people who are consistently putting themselves in bad situations, eventually it's going to result in a bad outcome, okay? If you are constantly hanging out with friends, quote unquote, who are of bad influence, right? If they're drug dealing, if they're 
stealing, if they're a part of just some criminal criminal activity and you're hanging around them, even if you may not be partaking in such activity, your mere presence is enough to get a charge, okay? Your mere friendship is enough to get a charge. You really have to be mindful of who you are friends with. Who do you surround your time with? And if you're consistently surrounding your time with people who are not good, who are not law-abiding, I'm not saying be a goody two-shoe, I'm not saying all that, but if you know that nigga who you always hang out with is doing some grimy shit, if he's raping bitches, if he's murdering, you know, girls (laughs) along the coast, like, don't hang out with him or her, like, don't hang out, what, like, there is some accountability that could be made here. And that's what I'm saying here. I think oftentimes we don't like to recognize within our own self where the accountability lies. We like to only blame the system, right? It's the system. It's systemic oppression. Yes, I am here to say systemic oppression is real. I talk about it all the time on this podcast. And little caveat, I'm going to add to that is your own personal responsibility, you should not also be hanging around with people who are doing criminal activities. You should not also be partaking in petty criminal activities because eventually it's going to get caught. It's going to catch up with you. It's going to make you be in a circumstance that you wish you wasn't in. So to be on the safer side it's best that you really be mindful of who you are friends with. Who do you surround your time with? Where are you usually in? Like what parts in the city? Like if you're always in a part in the city that's always known for drug dealing at the corner, stop standing at that corner. You know what I mean? Like there's some responsibility you could take to not be in a situation like this, to not suddenly be found guilty for a crime you did not commit. Now, yes, of course, there are cases when you have a peachy keen record, you are a graduate, you are a law-abiding citizen, and you're just black, and you get pinned for murder because you match this profile of a murderer, right? That's wrong. That's what I'm talking about, systemic oppression. That's still very real, and I'm not disregarding that. What I'm only specific, what I'm only specifically talking about is when you are surrounding yourself with people who are not at all good influences, you have to take some responsibility, period. Okay. So I, I, you know, I hope this is a lesson for someone out there who just likes to be friends with the cool people, right? But the cool people is into some mess, you know, just, just distance yourself. Maybe you don't have to hang out with them every single day, but find some form of distance, some boundary that you could set so that you don't have to be caught up in a situation that you can't get out of. That's very tricky for you to get out of. Okay. John Gray, cheating ass motherfucker. Um, I, oh, oh yeah. Okay. This is another thing I want to say about C murder and Monica. So apparently, so we know Monica got married right? To Shannon Brown. They're not together anymore. Um, So we know that she kind of moved on with her life at some point, which makes it okay that C-Murder did the same 
or that it's acceptable that he has other women claiming him. Because what's funny is what I found out is this other woman who is kind of calling Monica out, trying to say like, look, you really ain't his woman or you really wasn't really down for him. I'm his woman. I'm the one who held him down. I moved four minutes away from his prison. Um, I'm his girl. And it's, it's pretty... <laughs> It's pretty embarrassing, honestly, because you think that these jail niggas, you really, somehow delusional women believe, but because they're delusional, they believe that you're just the only one, right? Because, oh, we've had this history. We've been together before you were in prison. And you think that the promises said to you by this jailbird nigga are real. You think that he really is going to come out. Let's start there. You really think he's going to be free? Um, so there's that. And you really think that there's hope for y'all, that he's going to be the man that you want him to be and that you're still in this 19-year-old mind. I think a lot what Monica is coming from, she's coming from that juvenile mindset of being that ride or die for this man who is not toxic. This is just another toxic situation. He is just calling you, telling you these, these promises, these sweet nothings that really don't mean shit. It doesn't mean anything. He's in jail, mama. He is not coming out anytime soon. If he does come out, he's not going to fulfill the promises that he been spewing out to you for the past how many years. So... I think it's just it was just a slap in the face looking at these pictures of C murder cuddle up with this other woman who has posted captions saying she didn't miss a weekend, she didn't miss a call, she didn't miss a payment. Monica, who we all have a story and he will forever be a part of mine. Um it's just like, damn girl, you writing songs about him and he's over here saying the same thing to someone else. So, uh, God bless Monica. I hope she could grow from this and not have these hopes and dreams about a man who's in prison who really can't deliver. Okay, sis? So, let this be a reminder to us all. These ride or die relationships need to go. These are just another fragment of toxic relationships. Please, please, please be cognizant of that and please do better. John Gray, speaking of doing better, John Gray, John Gray, John Gray, John Gray. I just want to talk about why John Gray continues to make me want to slap him in the face. Like, I just want to know what is it about him that I just can't believe anymore. I think with him, he, so I just learned that he didn't start off, like he didn't always want to be a pastor. Like it wasn't like his calling from what I could gather. He actually started off as a Christian comedian. Interesting. Okay. He started off as a Christian comedian and, you know, as with many comics, it is not always a fruitful financially uh, job. So I think with the help of his wife, Avender, 
I, I think with the with the help of her, she probably convinced him like, hey, look, you love the Lord. You have a great charisma to you. I think it'll be great if you go ahead and move on to ministry. And with the leadership of Joel Osteen being in a mega church, it really helped amplify him as a pastor. And so when I think about his his rise as a pastor, it has a lot to do with his charisma, his way of being relatable, of being that guy that you could just talk to. Like he's very down to earth. Like he's a very cool guy. But as far as being called to ministry, to pastorship in particular, I never really saw that in John Gray. So when I look at his pursuits as a pastor, as a pastor of a church, I think it wasn't done with the right intentions. I don't believe that he felt God's hand of, over, his, over his life and told him, son, you need to speak my word, you know, as a pastor. And so this brings me to just his lack of respect to his wife, to his church, to the word, to, to other followers of him who really revere him as such. And it's sad because ultimately I could see within it all, right? Yes, he's, he's a scumbag for cheating on his wife or attempting to cheat on his wife yet again. Yes, he's a scumbag for embarrassing her, right? All these things are true. And it's also true that he is operating from a space of brokenness. He is still operating from that space of being, I think he was 15 years old and he wasn't uh, good enough then. I think he was molested at that age as well, or even younger. So in all of that, yes, you may think, okay, that's oh, that's bullshit. That's just an excuse. Yes and no. Yes, you are responsible for your own healing and you can't keep on operating from that space of your younger self and use that as an excuse. Like you can't do that. You can't, you have to, do better. You have to heal. You have to take control of your life. So yes, that's not an excuse anymore, but no, should we not use that in context? A lot of times, a lot of things that we do comes from a space of incompletion, brokenness, insecurity from a point in our life when that really was our reality. So I look at John Gray I think he never really had an opportunity to be a, a, a romantic guy, a guy who rolls, who soiled his royal oats. I don't think he ever was looked at as attractive. And so with his fame, whether it's because he's on TV now, because he's a pastor, don't get these pastors, child, I get it. <laughs> like, I understand why many pastors has had um has had sex with their congregants okay cuz lord i have a pastor i'm not going to say his name <laughs> those who follow me you know maybe you could kind of figure it out <laughs> but god i think if anything 
move into Houston, you really see like, damn, there's some fine pastors. Like there's really some fine ass pastor men out here. <laughs> and my pastor, Lord. And tell me why that I just found out not too long ago that he is single. Okay. I met him when he was married. So that's a, that's some tea there. Them jiggers water. Um, that's some tea there. And I actually, yeah, so they got a divorce. I don't know why. I think, I don't know. I really, I'm not going to perpetuate anything, but all I'm saying is he's fine. I remember feeling this way and I still feel this way, but it's tamed now. <laughs> but I remember feeling this way a couple of, a couple of years ago when I um, was first introduced to him and actually met him. Like it's, it's, a, it's somewhat of a mega church that I attend here. And he, like, I just didn't really figure that there'll be an opportunity to like speak to him one-on-one, -on -one. you know, when it's a kind of a big church, you're somewhat of a number. You're not really a face, but our church isn't that big for you to feel like a shadow in the room. So I actually met him outside of church at this, uh, this skincare business shop that I was at. And the voice sounded so familiar, but when I was walking into the lobby, I saw him I'm like, oh my gosh, you're past, like you're past so-and-so. And, -so. and then we greeted, he's like, yeah, he recognized my face. Um, and no, he wasn't just saying that because, you know, niggas just say that. He recognized my face because there's another campus that he has for the church. And in that campus, it's, a, it's an intimate size. And I'm typically at the first two rows. We made eye contact before, so I'm sure he's seen my face. So that was a true statement. So don't even try to play me, y'all. Anyway, <laughs> but um, and what I was trying to say is I met him when he was married, okay? I met him, like I was introduced to him be like before I knew of the divorce. I seen the wife at the church and I just like, okay, well, there, there it is. Um, but I was never thinking like, oh, there could be a time when I could be with the pastor. I feel like that'd be too much. As many of the escapades I've had here, just in my life, I, I mean, yes, there is a fantasy of being with a pastor, but I just, I don't think I could ever do that. Like y'all, I mean, I don't, ugh, because there's, a, okay, let me explain what I'm feeling because a part of me is like, damn, just to say I did it right. Just to kind of check this off my list. <laughs> like, oh, I did that. <laughs> but because I am committed to my healing and I realized that casual sex is not serving me, I can't go backwards anymore. So fuck, I, I had my chance before I went down this whole healing journey. <laughs> now I can't do it anymore. But a bitch could fantasize, maybe not too much, because sometimes these fantasies be coming into real life. But yeah, I really like he's that fine. He's he's tall. He's just climbing a tree. Anyway, he's a pastor, but he's not married anymore. So I could I'm not sinning anymore, right? <laughs> right, God? But he's fine. Anyway, why did I talk about him? Oh, I understand why congregants look at pastors the way that they do because they be fine as fuck. They'll be fine as fuck. And then one, they also, they also present this good guy persona. Wow, look at this man who is, 
who is a follower of the Lord, who loves the Lord, who reveres the Lord, who is led by the Lord. Like how many times do we say, or people have said, I wanna be with the man of God. I wanna be with a man who knows who God is, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, like all these things. And so when you look at a pastor who's actually those things and he's fine, bump that ring. <laughs> bump that wedding ring <laughs> your wife ain't here this sunday though like it's really that deep because they be looking that far oh my gosh I remember one time he called me out while he was preaching not in a negative way but he was just like saying something he used one of he used my name one of my names he used my name to show some type of relation to what he was saying and i felt so seen i'm like oh my gosh my pastor is looking at me but anyway I get it. And yes, John Gray is not technically my type. Let me just say that. I don't want to be fat phobic. I don't want people to call me fat phobic. That's a whole new thing now. But I do understand fat phobia. So I'm mindful of that. But he is someone's attraction, right? He's obviously his wife's attraction. He, besides that, he also just presents this this persona that is so likable. Like he's a likable guy. He's His charisma gets you. When a guy, if a guy can make you laugh, look, I don't care if you have one tooth, <laughs> I might just be your wife. Like, it's literally that easy. So it's not easy because not every man is funny, but when you are, it's that easy. So I look at John Gray, I it, I, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. And being that he is not really in control of his healing, it's it makes sense that he is now still caught up in another cheating scandal. So I do feel sorry for just the embarrassment of it all. I do wonder if he and his wife have some type of understanding <laughs> because at this point says, why not? Like, why not go ahead and let him do what he needs to do? And then you just continue to be the wife of this lifestyle. And y'all just, y'all just come to an understanding because I can't believe that she is just, not at all aware. I can't. Because the, the way that he goes about his cheatering, okay, cheaterizations, it's just to the point where, nigga, you're just disrespectful at this point. Like, you just really don't give a fuck about me as your wife. Like, you, you really don't give a fuck about me. So that's what I don't like. So I'm going to go ahead and share, watch, uh, play this video of, <laughs> of him just straight up trashing his wife and i'm embarrassed i'm embarrassed so let's go ahead and listen to it he is using his child their child together as uh an explanation for his action Okay. So, okay. Here, here's the thing with 
that I think oftentimes when the domestic role within a marriage is not fulfilled, there is this resentment, there's this anger, there's just this, this, just this dislike that you have for your partner who's not fulfilling his or her domestic role. And according to this video, Avenger, Avenger, I think that's her name, his wife has not been cooking, okay? She has not been cooking. She has not been throwing it out in the kitchen. And he's using his son in this example, in this video to show, look, look, she doesn't feed you. She only feeds you DiGiorno pizza. It is like, why are you bringing your child into this mess? Now, your child may not even be aware that you're showing this video to a woman who you're trying to pursue. And I just want to call out the shenanigans here. Like, first of all, why are you sending a video message to another woman who you're trying to engage in sexual activity with? Why are you doing that? Why are you not at all, like, at least a snap, actually, no, not a Snapchat, because you could screen record that. My point is, stop doing that. Like, be smart. If you're going to cheat, cheat well. Right? If you're going to cheat, cheat well. If you're going to go to a hotel with another woman, do it on a new credit card that you open separate to our account under a different name. Let your assistant do it for you and you just pay your assistant a little bit more. Okay. Just keep this on the hush hush. Like be smart when you cheat. Like I, I don't, I just want to know, like, are you delusional? And at this point, this makes me feel like there is an understanding between them. There has to be something said between them that just say, hey, you know what? If you want to go ahead and if you see someone you like, you're feeling, go ahead and do what you got to do. Just don't embarrass me, right? That's the problem with men. They still embarrass you. <laughs> with black men, they still embarrass you. At least with black women, we cheat. I, look, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm just saying like, if you're going to cheat, Black women do it better, just like with everything else. We do our hair better. We do our clothes better. We do everything better. We even got to cheat on you better. Sir, why are you sending a video to your mistress? It looks like he was basically posting it on Instagram stories. What a dumbass. So I think the point here is you have to fulfill your role. I'm not trying to blame her, but you have to understand. And I'm not even talking about the cooking thing. I think that does play an impact because your husband will eventually get frustrated. There'll be arguments. Um, there'll be a disconnect if you're not feeding him, right? And yes, he's a grown-ass man. He could feed himself. And I do agree with that. I think there will be days as a wife, right, when you're not in the mood to be present. You may just want to lay out. You don't want to cook three courses today. Order the damn DiGiorno. And in those moments, as the husband, you should be understanding. You should be a partner. You should help on the days when she needs help. You should be there for her when she needs that extra support, when she needs a time out, when, when she needs that me time, you should be present. So there's some responsibility there as well. But I want to get into the fact that 
there are moments in marriages when the sex suddenly is gone. It's just off the table. I've heard a lot of stories of, oh, you know, when you get married, sex is, ain't no more sex. All the sex that you had when y'all were boyfriend and girlfriend suddenly is over when you're husband and wife. And I could never, I'll be damned if I'm, if I, if I finally marry somebody and we're not fucking like, it's not the whole point of marriage, you know, in the Christian context, you want to go back to that. But like the whole, like, I just feel like if you are not consensually, of course, um, and yes, consensual is still a matter within marriages, but if you are not having sex with your husband, eventually he's going to have sex with somebody else. Okay. And it's not to obviously remove the accountability of the husband being unfaithful, but it's to be realistic. I think when there's a human basic need not being met, you will find another resource, right? Masturbation can only do so much. You're going to miss the touch of a pussy, right? You're going to miss the, the, the touch of a woman, of a breast. So you could eventually, first you could start off, okay, well, you know what? We're not having sex enough. I'm just going to masturbate some more, right? That may last you for a couple of months. Eventually, you're going to cheat. I just think we need to be realistic. And I know we don't look at women and wives as people who are possible to cheat. Like, no. She could never, a wife could never trust women are out here cheating. <laughs> we want to go back to my shadow work episode. You understand why that was my source of trauma, but that's, it's real. It's not gender exclusive. So I think when we are not fulfilling our own domestic needs within a partnership, eventually it's a consequence for that. Eventually, that consequence will result into your partner stepping out. And I think when we are not fixing our or responsible of our own healing, and we're, if we're not committed to our own healing, eventually it's going to manifest its ways into being destructive to other people, to ourselves. So John Gray, he's just coming from a place of brokenness. That's really what it is. And I know it's so easy to, you know, discard him. I get it. We're upset. The joke's going to keep on joking. I'm here for the jokes. And I'm also recognizing that he needs help. I don't think going up to the altar at T.D. Jake's Potter House Church, crying, falling out, saying that you was going to kill yourself after the first incident, I don't think that's enough, right? I don't think that's the help that I'm talking about. I don't think that's help. Yes, I believe in spirituality, spiritual powers, pray. I believe in all of that. And I believe in doing the work. I also believe in going to therapy, really getting into your inner child, speaking life over him or her, doing your shadow work, doing the work that's necessary to be healed. And healing's a journey. I don't think we're just done, right? You don't just, okay, I healed that, check. Okay, next one. Like, it, you're not, all the things that, all of the things that you need to be healed from are not just going to just be healed instantaneously. It's going to take a journey. You're going to reach a new level of healing. And so this was discussed in 
the last episode of this podcast with my guest Alicia. And I think when we realize, look, healing's gonna look different for everybody. And there's a different level that you access, like a game, like a video game. You access, you access a new door. You access a new level. You have a new shield on. You are not easily triggered anymore. You can be in the same room. Maybe it's not always a, a healthy situation if you're in the same room as your abuser. But the point is you're not now going back into your 13-year-old self anymore. You are now operating from your full self as you are in the moment. So I hope he could get the healing that he needs. I hope he doesn't kill himself. And I hope that killing ourselves is not an option anymore. I'm tired of when we make foul choices, right? If when we make choices that we know excuse me, that is not helpful, that is harmful to ourselves, to others, but we made that choice. I I just hope that we could get to a place where suicide is not an option. Like, how about you just own up to the fact that you fucked up, you hurt somebody, whatever you did, own up to it, and hopefully you can move on. But he, suicide, let's not do that. Um, but yeah, he needs healing. He needs healing. He needs he needs help. And an altar call is not enough. It is insufficient. Do more. Um, but this is funny picture I saw of a text exchange that he had with this woman. Okay. So apparently the woman that he was trying to cheat with. It never got to the actual cheatation of it all, but it was leading up to it. Eventually, obviously, it stopped. So he was trying to convince her to show him her titties. He just wants to see her titties. And it's funny because, sir, you could see titties any point of your day. Like, you could go... To your phone and see titties. You could go on Pornhub and see titties. You could go anywhere to see titties, but no, you wanna act, you wanna communicate with the real person who could out you <laughs> just so you could see them titties. Okay, so he put his money where his mouth was. I guess he was talking about some type of exchange for it. So he actually sent her an Apple Pay of $200 so that she could show him her titties. And the funny thing about it, she showed him her titties, <laughs> but she didn't show the real titties. Like she had a bra on. She kept a bra on while showing her, showing him her pushed up breasts against each other. She cut off her face, smart move ladies, never show your face, but I just feel like, damn, sis, you could have at least showed him the areola. <laughs> no? You could have had, girl, and then he actually posted, he's like, he's like, this isn't fair or real. She says, what? LOL. Um, he says, I'm so mad that the pink pick is cut off. Your beauty and your something that got cut off. But the point is, she didn't show him really anything. Like, he just did all that for what? Like, 
<laughs> but girl, you gotta help the nigga out. Show him your damn titty if you're gonna accept that money, huh? If you if you wanna be funny, if you're gonna cut your face off anyway, just show him the damn areola. Why not? At this point, why not? You already here. You was already exchanging that same energy. <laughs> You was already exchanging that energy with him. You was already making him feel like he could have, he could have had a, a an opportunity with you to cheat. So, excuse me. Let's not paint him as the only bad guy here. Yes, she's not the one who's married, right? But let's be honest. She knew that he was married. She knew that. He has, excuse me, she knew that he has gone through a cheating scandal before and she knew that she could get some type of exposure from it. Now, she's not showing her face in other platforms, but it's just, it's a little trifling to, to do that and accept his money, knowing that this man is married and he's a whole pastor. Like, sis... You gotta do better too. There's a there's some brokenness in you that needs to be healed. Okay, okay. So Megan the Stallion finally admitted that she was shot by Tory Lanes, and uh, let me just drink this water because I think there's a lot here. You know, we talk a lot about why why is it that black women are ride or die. Hey everyone, please support God Built This podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash godbuiltthis. You can pledge to pay $5 or more monthly. Any amount is appreciated. Your money goes towards production costs of the show and you'll have exclusive access to content that will only be released on patreon.com slash godbuiltthis. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godbuiltthis. Now let's get on with the show. Okay, you guys, let's get into Megan the Stallion. It is confirmed. It is signed, sealed, and delivered to the public that Tory Lanez did in fact shoot her. And there's a lot of questions here because she did not share this information initially. She chose to hit this from us, yes, the public, and yes, we are not entitled to this information. We're not entitled to anything. And I know that's a lot of, that's like the common, the politically correct thing to say as fans, as followers, as supporters of her music and her career. We're not entitled to to this. We're not entitled to this information. Like we should be grateful that she even said anything. Yes and no. Look, I'll be damned if I am supporting your career financially. If I, if the reason you are successful as you are, the reason you are living in that nice big old house as you are, and I'm, I'm the reason. Okay, your fans are the reason. So if your fans want you to jump over a roof and tell us this information, jump over that damn roof and tell us the information period. And now, you know, she has chosen to finally reveal to us that Tori, in fact, did shoot her. Now, I think with this information is it's, it's, um, 
it was already sketchy from the beginning. One, Megan and Tori, huh? Tori Lanes is 311. Not not 411. I know that's a common that's a common height for like the that's like the base for a short person. 411. That's I think that's actually uh dwarfism. Tori Lanes is 311. Okay. I don't know if you guys seen the clip of that was circling around for a little while of Tory Lanes getting up from a chair while he was at Sway in the morning. And it looked like he was still sitting down. That's how short he is. Okay, let's just let's just stop there. This man is 311. Okay. And Megan the Stallion is a stallion. She's literally the name that she owns. And so speaking of names, speaking of female rapper names, this is rapper named Mulatto. This is rapper named Light Skin Keisha. And problematic to the core. Like that's just, look, at the end of the day, I wonder, cause I was thinking like, hmm, is it too late to change your name? But I think about Diddy. Diddy was Puff Daddy. He was Puffy. He was P Diddy. Now he's Sean Combs or I don't know whichever one it was. Same with JLo. JLo was JLo. Now she wanted to change it to Jennifer Lopez. So I guess you can change your name. But Mulatto, like you might as well call yourself nigga bitch. You, like you might as well call yourself a slur because that's what mulatto is. It is a slur. Um, and I am just not, it's just, it's a turnoff for me. It doesn't make me want to actively listen to her music. Same with Light Skin Keisha. Why are you glorifying this? colonized standard of beauty for black people. You know, for so long, we have been conditioned to believe that the lighter, the prettier, the lighter, the better, right? If you could pass as a white person, you are beautiful. And it's so, it's so toxic and it's so embedding to so many different African cultures that there are literal posters of bleaching creams. There are billboards of bleaching creams in different countries in Africa. And to be someone who is promoting that, who is encouraging that, it's it's really disturbing actually. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him back. So it's actually very disturbing. And I feel like um, that's something that needs to be called out on. I think that sometimes when we are choosing to be ignorant about colorism in the black community, because it's not just in the black community, it's in the Indian community. If you guys watched uh, that, what's that dating show on Netflix? It's a thing. So the point is light skin Keisha, mulatto, all glorifies a white standard of beauty. And that's not what I stand for, obviously. So anyway, well, it's going Megan the Stallion. So her name literally tells us who she is, how she looked like, how tall she is, and for her to even be in the same presence as. Tory Lanes is actually just 
quite laughable. Ma'am, I don't, rumor has it that they were actually dating. So before she admitted to us that he in fact did shoot her, I'm wondering why were you even in his presence? Why is it that you decided this man was worthy enough to be in your presence? Um, I, I think with in your presence. So um, I, I think a lot of times with short guys, they have this Napoleon complex. Trust me, I know I dated a short guy and he his middle name was Napoleon complex. Like it was literally Napoleon complex last name. Okay. And so I definitely think it's just a, a syndrome of being a short man. Add a short black man to that description, nigga. You're gonna have to deal with somebody who is trying so hard to be the center of attention. And add being a Leo, girl, bye. So yeah, so when I think about stallions and Tory Lanes, it just didn't make sense to me. So before she revealed to us that he shot her, you know, rumor was having that they like they were dating and they probably had a heated moment. He probably got upset and just took out his gun and decided this was the best thing to do. Um, I can't believe that this was done sober. This must have been just like a a, a foolish, just drunken night doesn't excuse his action. And doesn't mean I'm right. He could have been perfectly sober. He could have been. But he's from Canada. And usually Canadians are described as being so nice. Maybe it's just for Canadian women. But either way, the point is, I think with this whole situation, a lot of things I find troubling. I see Megan Thee Stallion, you know, because of the way she was brought up and her background and her being the rapper that she is, like she's she's a hood bitch in a way. She's not like unapproachable in a way because she uh, seems to be still approachable. She's an Aquarius, shout out to that. Um, but her, just her, the, her rapping style, her approach, her, her essence is like kind of rough and just like she knows like the street code type of thing. And I'm not trying to shame her for snitching. I know that was a conversation that I was um, that was circulating in social media. I'm not even going to bring that in. Well, I'll bring it into it because this is a podcast. But I don't even consider that to be valid. What I am saying is I wish that Black women wouldn't feel so so tied to being loyal to Black men especially when the black man continues to show us that they really don't give a fuck about us and that they will sell our next kidney to be with the next mulatto bitch, to be with the next light-skinned Keisha. And obviously I'm not talking about all black men, so I, don't, I, don't, I shouldn't even have to make that disclaimer. But what bothers me about this is that this is not the first situation of a black woman yet again defending and low-key enabling another black man to be the toxic nigga that he is. I understand within the times that we're in, and not even just the current times, but historically, 
black men are not uh, particularly a favorable target for policemen, right? They are a special target to be killed, to be brutalized, to be harmed, to be punished in the court of law, on the streets by police officers. I get it. So she may not have wanted to take this in escalation, but it sucks that we have to be somewhat of a sacrificial lamb before the black man knows that, hey, I'm I'm the problem here. <laughs> and instead of expecting my woman to have my back and um, shut up about this shooting or this beatdown that I gave her, I'm going to take ownership and recognize I'm fucked up, right? Same with John Gray. Instead of blaming his wife for not cooking as often as he would like for her to cook, why not take the burden of cooking some days when she's out of it and allow it to be a partnership? So I think about just the whole, just the whole picture. The bigger picture here is um, stop defending black men. That's literally the end of this episode. Stop defending black men. Okay. Um, I don't know if anyone watches Big Brother. I've referenced this show before. And I am still an avid fan of this show. But there's another example of another Black woman who is so loyal to this Black man. And yet he pays her dust. So in this season of Big Brother, Big Brother All-Stars 2020, this is season 22, actually. Uh, there's this uh, participant housemate uh, named Devon, who's a Black woman. And there is this black man, David, who was on the block for eviction. It was him against this white woman. And typically race is not a talking point in this show. It just now became such the recent seasons. I've noticed a shift. And mind you, I've been an avid watcher of Big Brother. So a bitch knows. And I'm wondering if CBS is doing that purposefully. I wonder if it was an actual thing in the past and maybe because I was younger, I didn't notice, but I noticed like gay participants being like public about it, but I never noticed and I never really seen uh, a spotlight given to racial tension or being... Or, or the desire to be the first black winner of Big Brother. Like that was never really a conversation had in Big Brother. But now all of a sudden in the recent seasons, it's been a conversation. So hmm, I don't know if it's because of the times that we're in. I don't know if it's because CBS is trying to look like they're on the right side of, of you know, of, of history, right? Trying to show their their affirmative ways, but Big Brother, you still only have three black people per season. It's really ridiculous. Um, and there's still more white people than not. So I, I don't know about that, but the point is all of a sudden this is now a race talk. Okay, but my point is um, Devon is trying to gather votes to help the David stay in the house to not make him get evicted. 
And she explained her primary and only reason in doing so is because David's black and she's black. And so her loyalty lies there, period. Like there wasn't even anything else. There wasn't a, it wasn't a game move. It wasn't some type of gameplay. He wasn't in an alliance with her. Maybe he is subconsciously because they're both black, but David ain't really black. If you know what I'm talking about, like, I feel like he's just super passive and he was responding. Like once he was noticing that Devon was really out here supporting him or trying to garner votes to keep him in the house, he actually spoke to Devon privately and was like, Hey, you know, maybe you should kind of chill out, chill out on trying to help me stay in the house because it's gonna look bad on you. And she's like, nigga, what? I mean, she didn't say that, but her face said it, okay? And this is still CBS, it's a family network. But bitch, she was like, nigga, what, with her eyes. And I'm watching it like, there we go. Another reason why we should stop defending these black niggas. Because they continue to not recognize and show gratitude and reciprocate what we are doing for them. So she's trying to have a real conversation with him, trying to understand his gameplay, trying to know, like really just trying to be honest. And she's telling, she's kind of putting her cards on the table, letting him know, you know, what's going on in the house, you know, what to be mindful of. And he's responding very, very quietly. He's not telling her that, um, he's not telling her at all that he may be, that, that he is in an alliance. He's not communicating with her about that. <laughs> he's being very, very hush hush, but she's over here blabber mouthing to him because why he's a black man and I'm a black woman. So let me tell y'all about a time when I decided that my blackness does not mean I'm loyal to you. Okay. It was a couple of years ago at a previous job and I had a black colleague, a fellow teacher who was consistently absent from work, consistently absent from work. And at that time when a teacher was absent, other teachers had to, were mandated to teach that absent teachers classes. So our off time, the times when we have no classes, whether it's one or two periods, that time, instead of having a little break, you know, stretching our limbs, you know, catching our vocal cords, we then have to teach a class that's not ours, of students who we don't know, who we don't have a relationship with in a whole new environment. And if you can only imagine being a student, for those of you who are not teachers, if you can imagine being a student and having a substitute teacher come into your classroom, the lack of respect that teacher receives, right? The lack of care <laughs> that teacher receives, the lack of paying attention that teacher receives from your damn peers, 
because students don't give a fuck. If my actual teacher is not here, I'm going to act a damn fool until my teacher returns. I'm going to suddenly act like I've never received work a day in my life. And when asked, hey, what was the last assignment that you guys worked on? Oh, no. What assignment? What class is this again? That's that's what I had to deal with a lot because said black fellow teacher was consistently absent. Now you may wonder why, why, (laughs) why was he absent all the time? (laughs) Why didn't he give a fuck about his, his job? And we don't know. We don't know. And maybe it wasn't my business. Maybe it wasn't my business. But I had to take up the slack. And he didn't prepare. Apparently, something I don't know, something was going on with him personally. Um, so the point is, he knew he was going to be absent. It wasn't like a sudden emergency absence for two days. Something like that that you could kind of cover, right? No, no, no. This was weeks, y'all. I don't know why he still had a job, but that's not up to me. I'm not trying to fight anybody. But the point is, he was absent for weeks, okay? And I had to take a good grunt, a brunt, which one is it? Um, A good chunk of his classes. And there was no materials set aside for me. There was no plan. There was nothing for me to give those students. And so just imagine how dread, this was the earlier years of my teaching career. So I was, just imagine how dreadful that is going into a new classroom, new students whose names you don't know, who you don't have a relationship with, who looking at you like you one of them because I'm looking super young, right? And they're looking at you like they could walk all over you. So I'm having to come in being this stern, this demanding, um, yet affirmative, but still having to go in there with this, this no bullshit attitude. Yet, I don't know what I'm doing because nothing is given to me. There's no materials. And I'm literally out there for for my own survival. Now, I'm frustrated. Needless to say, I'm having to take up this man's responsibilities. He's not reaching out to me. He's not letting me know, hey, I'm so sorry that I had nothing planned. (laughs) Here, uh, just give them this. This will last them for a week. And then I'll give you something else once that week ends. Like, nothing is given to me. So please understand my point of view. I ended up, what did I do? I I forgot how it started. But I sent an email to, uh, like, a coach. Someone, like, within his department. And I CC'd him. And I just wanted to know, hey, this is what's going on in the classroom that I'm teaching. This is what's happening. I'm not giving any support. And I wish I was. Like, I was just kind of airing out my frustration. But I only left the email out to three people. So the, the, um, the Black teacher who was absent, he was in the email. I CC'd him. And the coach of that of that teacher. And, you know, I just kept it between us three through email. So I get a response to that email <laughs> the following day. 
the following morning, I come into work, you know, slept a good eight hours, ready to conquer another day, do my best and be my best self. I get an email reply and not only was it not just <laughs> the three people who I initially emailed, it was the supervisor, it was the CEO, it was the COO, it was the ECO, is the it was the echo, like it was literally every old digger in that email chain, my nigga. Like everybody. He responded to that email with such a rage, y'all. I felt like in my Maxine, like I had to think about my own identity in that moment because I was just so taken aback that things went so left. Now you may think, well, Ma mama, maybe you shouldn't have written that email. Maybe I shouldn't. And maybe I, look, I thought about that retro, you know, retroactively and retrospectively. And maybe, maybe I could have did, did that a little differently, but I still was a little careful because I only emailed initially those three people, right? So it could have just been had between us and that's it. Instead, everybody and their mama's mama, auntie, uncle, cousin, nephew, unborn child was in that email chain. Okay. So needless to say, I was embarrassed. <laughs> I was just flabbergasted. I was shocked and I was younger then. So I was reacting with just somewhat of a, not fear, but like I was shaken up. I was just taken aback. I was embarrassed. This is my job. This is my first teaching career. Um, this is my, this is the first early years of my teaching career. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what if this fucks it up for the rest? Like I was just thinking a lot. And so I was really shaken up about it. And what I remember from that email was his, he was so, when I tell you he rashed the shit out of me, just talking about, just on the essence of as a fellow black woman or as a fellow black person, because he's not a black woman, he's a black man. But he was he was just pointing out to me that essentially I was a coon. Essentially, I was not a, a real black person. I was not down for the cause. I was not really for him. Like I was just a snake. That's how he was describing me as. And he was just digging into my character so badly. Mind y'all, me and him have never had a relationship. When I say you never had a relationship, I'm not talking about on a romantic tip. Like, no, he wasn't my type. But I'm talking just on the bare minimum of cordial, of hello, good morning. Me and him never crossed paths. You know, he was at a different building and I wasn't frequently in that building. I was in, in the other building. And so when he was going in on me, it was as if I killed his pet. Like, nigga, I'm just letting your, I'm just letting three people on this team know that, hey, I wish I had more support with your class because your class is wilding out and I'm frustrated. He was just going in talking about, you know, basically as a black woman, I should have this black man, I should have my, I should have his back and, you know, you don't even care about my mental state, my part. Like he's just really like, he went crazy on me and I'm just sitting back like, and at that time, mental health 
conversations about mental health, mental wellness, health wellness, wellness period, that wasn't even a conversation. So I wasn't, I wasn't really familiar with if someone had a mental breakdown. And I think looking back at it now, I believe he had a mental breakdown. Because I, I think about his behaviors, um, the few times when I would run into him, he was just very socially awkward and distant that I just passed it off. But because I was ignorant to mental health, I definitely missed what could have been an example of that. So when he wilded out on me, I was crushed. I was upset. I was embarrassed. Um, they, the principal, it was such a crazy ass time. The principal at the time, who was another black man, decided to, he thought it was a good idea to have a meeting with both of us to kind of squash it, right? And I wish I had the sense then to realize, nah, I'm not doing the meeting. But then I was just thinking, you know, when you're coming up in your career and you, and when you're younger, you just kind of say yes to everything. You don't realize that you have a voice to say no, that you could say, hey, I'm not doing this. I'm not comfortable with this, right? Um, instead, you feel like you have to say yes to everything because your job could be on the line, your reputation, your professionalism could be at the line on the line. And I never um I was I was living in Boston. I was not thinking about possibly moving to Houston. That wasn't even a thought at that time. So I was just thinking, like, well, my career begins and continues and will remain here in Boston. So I have to do right. I have to say yes. I have to be my best self. I have to be this acceptable black woman in this field at this school. So I just had to play a, a part, right? So I went to the meeting, my juice is we're all black, okay? And the my fellow black, I don't call him fellow that motherfucker. I hate him. <laughs> well, I can't remember his name, but oh, he he really he went in like he had a mental episode on me, and I'm just like, God damn, what the fuck? So uh anyway, so when we was in his office, when I tell y'all, he kind of I think he flipped a he didn't flip a table, but he 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 kind of flipped something that was on the principal's desk. It was a lamp or like post-it notes. And I'm holding myself calm and collected because at that time, you know, I was raised to believe and I, I stood in the belief of be calm, be professional, don't be emotional at work. Even though I did cry, I didn't cry in front of people. I kept it at my desk trying to cover it up, making sure no one saw me. But I I, I try not to raise my voice. Like I, I was, I didn't want to be that angry black woman, right? I wanted to play and I played into respectability politics. Now it's like, fuck that shit, right? Um, Cause I could be respectful, but now I'm allowing myself to embrace my humanity, all of it. Like if you are frustrated with your colleague, instead of trying to play this role of calm and collected, no, let that shit be known. Because unfortunately, that's not the same for white women. White men get white women get to feel their humanity. They get to share how they're feeling in the moment. They get to be frustrated. They get to be upset. And for black women, we don't. We don't have that privilege and it shouldn't even be a privilege. So I'm reclaiming that. But anyway, at that time I wasn't there. So I was keeping myself calm and collected while he was acting a damn fool. And I'm sitting there just like feeling 
ultimately that was that that could have been a lawsuit. I could have felt I could have filed a claim of professional I don't know harassment uh um just uh what is it just misconduct something because think about the optics two black men one black woman in the same room one black man is throwing a muck while the other black man is sitting there watching it happen imagine if i I don't know. Imagine if he took another step or imagine if I got in his face, right? And quote unquote provoked him even more. I probably would have gotten physically violated while that other black man would have sat there in, in distress because he was not expecting for the other black man, for, for my colleague to react that way. And so when he walked out, my colleague actually ended up walking out of the meeting. <laughs> like it was, he was like, I don't think I look, I, I deserve an apology. Cause I don't think I really was the reason for his anger. I think I just happened to be the person to, um, what's that saying? Kind of the camel off his back, whatever. Um, I think I was the reason who kind of just blew his fuse, but I think he was really mad about a, a whole, a whole slurry of things, but I was, I ended up getting the grunt of it. And so when he walked out of the meeting, the principal was like, I, he was shocked. He, he was shocked. He, he apologized on behalf of him. He tried to reassure me at that time that, look, I was well warranted in, in, in feeling how I felt and sharing how I felt. And that's the thing I don't like about people. You know, people will agree with you in private, <laughs> but when it comes down to showing me your support, show me your damn agreement when I'm sharing it aloud. Right after I'm done speaking, be like, yeah, you know, I, I hear what Maxine is saying. I agree with her because X, Y, and Z. I still get that to this day. I was at a, a, a recent professional development meeting. I was sharing my qualms about something and everyone else was silent. <laughs> and I'm over here like, Am I in the twilight zone? I know y'all niggas feel the same way. At least some of y'all. And of course I was right because two of them reached out to me. They were like, yo, Maxine, I, you know, I agree with you when you said that. And I'm sitting there thinking, so where was this agreement? Because you didn't say a damn thing when I was explaining myself, huh? But I'm always, I'm always and I'll still to this day be, be the one to share how I feel no matter if I'm the only one saying it. Cause I have to, I have to do that to myself. That's me honoring myself and, and God, God built this. So hello. Anyway. So the point is, I think there is such a backlash for women, for black women to not support their black men. And they're called snitches, right? They're called coons. Their, 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 their character is questioned because of that. And it's unfair, you know, and instead of sitting back and reflecting on yourself and realizing, Hey, you know what? I could have done this differently. I could have, I could have like that, that black teacher could have, you know, so, um, prepared for his absences, prepared for his planned absences and said, Hey, here's the plan for my classes. I know it's a lot. And I thank you so much for like, not once did he send out a text an email thanking me because he will get notified every time when someone took his classes. And since I was the one mostly taking his classes, 
um, he, he knew that it was me. So common courtesy, what have you say, Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you chiming in, you helping when you can. I'm dealing with a lot, like something, you know, I feel like I, well, I know I would have done that. So I think about that now. And it's just another example of how, you know, if you're not suddenly in allegiance with someone who shares the same skin tone as you, you're this bad guy. Like, fuck. first of all, I don't even know you. Yeah, we may have, uh, you know, a history, technically, right? Our ancestors. But the point is, right now, nigga, I don't know you. And right now, nigga, you're a damn fool. Right now, I don't agree with your, your behavior. And I don't give a fuck if you're black. I'm just going to say that because it's unfair that we are, that black women are subjected to just rolling with any little thing, being the ride or die for any little thing black men say when you don't agree with it. If I don't agree with you, I'm not going to agree. I'm not going to go ahead and put myself on a limb. You shot me on my foot and I'm supposed to be over here. Hush, hush, because you can't snitch. Shut the fuck up. Victims can't be snitches. And snitches is just a stupid-ass way to enable abusers. It's a stupid-ass way to create this environment where abusers are still able to do whatever the fuck they want to do because you know what? Snitches get stitches. Shut up. Go ahead and speak on your pedophile uncle your pedophile brother. Oh, but you want to be a snitch. I'm so sick of that shit. Okay. Because I was a quote unquote, a snitch when I had to speak up about what was going on in my family. That was this, that is the sort of my trauma of why I have been avoiding for so long now being vulnerable with people because of what happened when I was younger. Yes, snitches can't be stitches. Shut the fuck up. I really, I'm going to fight everybody who says that. Shut the fuck up. Snitch. Tell on what, tell on the bad thing that's happening to you. No, things shouldn't just be kept in the family. You shouldn't just keep this to yourself. Speak on it. Because it's going to continue happening. Talk about that sexual trauma. Talk about that physical violence. Talk about that creepy ass uncle. Talk about that creepy brother, the cousin, the aunt. It's not gender exclusive, right? The point is stop not snitching because of this dumbass. Like, I'm not from the streets. <laughs> People think you're supposed, to look, you're supposed to live by a code when, sir, I don't know a crip and I don't know a blood. Okay. <laughs> I may bop to a song or two, but at the end of the day, if a hood nigga looks at me twice, I'm afraid. Okay, I'm I'm actually afraid for my life. <laughs> and I'm walking straight to my car and my key is right on my hand, in my hand, and I'm locking the door as soon as I sit in my car. And you know, sometimes when you lock your door too quickly, when you get in the car, it unlocks it. So you got to give it like five seconds, but you got to be cognizant of your whereabouts. The point is <laughs> what I'm trying to say, and I hope it's getting to somebody. Stop not snitching. Speak up, 
speak out. And fuck these people out here who trying to say you a coon, you a snitch, your, your character is poor. Like, sir, go to work. I'm still mad about, oh my God, that was so many years ago. Not so many, but it was a couple of years ago. And I'm just thinking about how, how dainty I was then. <laughs> but the me now, or the me then, will be so proud of the me now. So I'm, I'm so grateful for growth. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself then too. I did what I needed to do to be where I am now. So I'm so proud of who I am. It's just, you know, you think about how manipulative people could be and they use this false sense of loyalty that you're supposed to have when I don't fucking know you. And the thing about that is, it's okay, you know, you could have an argument like, well, let's just be there for each other. You know, you have racism in these streets. You know, you have the police officers against us. You have the white, our white counterparts against us. And I, I hear that. I hear that. Look, I talk about race all the time. You know, I talk about politics all the time. I hear that. But I hate when it's one-sided and that's where I'm coming from because I could bet you a dollar, just one dollar, because I'm not, I'm not a betting type, okay? I could bet you a dollar, he wouldn't have done shit for me, okay? He wouldn't even be able to pick me out of a lineup, okay? I don't know why I'm at a lineup, but the point is he wouldn't lend me a bone, okay? Me and him didn't have a relationship, me and him didn't have a, a light relationship at all at that workplace. He walked by me as if I was dust. But now I'm supposed to just have your back because you a black man. Fuck black. Black men. Don't look. <laughs> That's the last thing you, you could tell me to, to help me to believe that I should be loyal to you. <laughs> hey, black men. Okay. And let me not generalize. The point is, I just feel like, you know, it's not fair to be to be manipulative in any sense. And it's not fair to make you feel like you're this coon, you're this sellout, you know? Ugh. Anyway, that put a bad taste in my mouth. God bless him wherever he's at. But, you know, I'm so proud of me. And I, I just, you know, I feel like at this point... We can't do things in a collective bunch. You know, I am even evolving my mindset into not thinking that black people, the black people who are Republicans are sellouts. I feel like that's such an easy scapegoat and it's unfair. You know, it goes back into generalizations. We cannot generalize people. Not every Republican or black Republican is a sellout. You have to look at people and where they are in their life and look at which party best supports where they are in their life. That's just how it is. We're all doing this thing selfishly, right? You may vote for a, a candidate because he speaks on a particular issue that resonates best with you, right? You know, you may vote for someone who comes from the same background as you and you see yourself in that person. The point is we vote for people for our own selfish reasons. It's all selfish. But because on the public scale, it quote unquote looks bad 
when you're a black person who is voting Republican, when it really was Democrats who were the bad guys, quote unquote, from the beginning, but then it kind of turned around into now Republicans being the bad guys. The point is, do your history. Like, let's not just judge people just because of who they vote. We'll talk about Trump in a little bit, but the point is, I just, I think it's unfair. And the way that motherfucker treated me many years ago, a couple of years ago, was unfair. And I'm healing from that. <laughs> anyway, I'll end it here. Thank you guys for tuning in. And this is just an encouragement for anyone who has not yet subscribed to please subscribe to both Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And I encourage you all to leave a comment. Rate me five stars. You know how it says, you know how I say towards the end of this episode, you'll hear the, the pre-recording. Please follow that if you have not yet. Thank you guys for your support. And I will check in with you all next time. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. Be sure to leave a review, give me five stars, and of course, subscribe. Also, follow God Built This Podcast on Instagram at God Built This Pod. God bless.